0: Welcome to iCommunicate on full-service radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Hey, happy good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Good to be back here at iCommunicate and uh, doing the show remotely today. I miss my buddy, Ted. I'm missing you, brother. I love you anyway. Let's
2: keep it going.
1: All right. So, look, today, beautiful day outside. Really have my spirits lifted today. And today, we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, and that's looking in the mirror, self reflection. And it's funny, right? Because with this COVID crisis that's gone on, it's such an opportunity to really slow down and self reflect and ask ourselves some really hard questions that, frankly, A lot of us don't even want the answer to those questions, but it's time to do it. And I want to share a story that I think is really important, and that is um, over the last few years, I do a lot of pro bono speaking engagements for job seeker groups. I really enjoy it. Uh, it's, It's really a wonderful opportunity. And one of the activities I do when we do these job seeker groups are I have them describe their passion story. Why do they do what they do? Why do you want to be a lawyer, in IT, realtor, insurance, teacher, whatever it is that you want to do? Why? What's your why? i got to be honest with you. Whenever I do this activity, I get answers like, I like to help people. I like people. I want to give back. I like solving problems. And every time I hear those answers, I'm like, you know, that's garbage. It's just garbage. Because... Everybody says that. If I had a nickel for every time I asked someone why they do what they do and they said I like to help people, why do you like to help people? Why? And what happens is when I make people self-reflect and really take a few minutes to dig deep to decide why are you pursuing this career, why are you staying in this industry, I have to tell you virtually every time I do this, I get a handful of people that cry. And the first time it happened, I was really taken aback. I was like, oh, geez, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to make you cry. And I realized in a very short period of time, it's a good cry. Because when you look back at why you do what you do, um, sometimes you're, you you have memories that, that prompted you to take a career path or make choices that to remember the root of that is painful. Now, for me... People ask me all the time, you know, why become a trainer? Why why a motivational speaker coach and you know, mark? How did you end up that way? You know, cuz cuz the people that know me really know well know that when I was a kid, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. That's that's what I wanted to do. But what happened is, and I've talked about this occasionally on my on the show before, is I made some really poor choices when I was in college. And those poor choices included um having unprotected sex, getting my girlfriend pregnant after a month, who I barely knew, and it changed the whole course of my life. And in the span of a couple of years, I became a father at 23, was an addicted gambler, and was filed for bankruptcy due to the debt I had accumulated, was on food stamps, and was was just at the bottom of the barrel. And I remember, you know, all my social circles, at that time, none of my social circle, people in my social circle, had, had kids. So I felt lost. I felt alone. I was like, what am I going to do? I'm a dad. I have no job. You know, What am I going to do? And I remember that time and that stretch of time in my 20s being so painful and such a period of learning and, and feeling unsupported and alone. And when I started Mindset Go when I was 40, 41, I was like, well, this is an opportunity. I've always loved developing people, nurturing people, and supporting people over the course of my life. And I realized that that's because I didn't have the opportunity and I wanted to make sure I could help as many people as I could so they didn't experience some of the disappointment and frustration and hurt that I did. So when I say I like to help people, that's the reason why I like to help people. And so when you self-reflect, it may be because your parents had a certain job at a young age. Maybe you had a parent that died. Maybe you had a parent that was abusive and you decided that you wanted to be a child advocate. It could be lots of reasons, but it's really important to to understand where your passion comes from. And the benefit of self-reflection gives you so much clarity. And, you know, before I shift topics, I just want to add one last thing. You know, there's this exercise that uh, people in project management use a lot. It's called the five whys. And if you listen to this radio show today, if you start asking yourself, yeah, geez, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why did I decide to go down this path? There's this activity that's called the five whys. And so what I'll, what I'll do is if I'm in a job seekers group, I'll say to the person, okay, so why do you want to be in IT? Well, because I like helping solve people's problems. Why do you help, like helping solve people's problems? Well, because it makes their business run more smoothly. Well, why does it matter to you if their business runs smoothly? So keep asking yourself why, like a four- or five-year-old annoying kid would do, until you get the answer that really is the root of your passion. Now, as we are considering, as we're utilizing, for those of us who are fortunate enough to have a glass half full and use their downtime during covid there's a lot of questions you should be self-reflecting on and probably already are self-reflecting on. Do I have the right job? Do I like the responsibilities and challenges at my job? Am I happy with work-life balance? What about my habits? What about my relationships and friends? What about my career direction and growth? What about my decisions I make around time management and food choices? What about how I react to certain situations and certain people? Am I happy with that? Do I want to keep doing that? So I want you, as we go through the show today, to if, you're, if you haven't started self-reflecting, a lot of what we're going to cover on the show today is really how to have that self-reflecting process. And we're going to really focus heavily on leadership. And there's so many components to the self-reflection process. It's not a hard process, but there are, there are obstacles to overcome in doing it. We're going to cover those today. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty of self-reflection, There's a mindset a lot of people have, and this is a good foundation to start your self-reflection. We all like to blame people. We like to blame others for our troubles. My boss, Donald Trump, politicians in general, parents, friends, husbands, wives. We always like to find fault in people and attribute, use attribution, For whatever we're not happy about in our lives, whatever we feel like is being taken away from us, it's always someone else's fault. And the whole benefit of self-reflection is instead of looking at the world and seeing all the people who are getting in your way and preventing your happiness that are allegedly ruining your life, and I bet, for those of you listening, if you had to come up with a list of people that would fit that bill, I bet you could come up with some names without much hesitation. So instead of doing that, what if you you reflect and say, hmm, what if the problem isn't all of that group of people I alluded to? What if the struggles are you? What's my role in these problems? How can I address things differently for different results? Because it's so much easier to look at the outside. You can point to other people, you can blame, you can tell me all the things wrong. And then knowing that, yep, Problem solved, because that's my problem. Now, I have to tell you something. You know, I look at my own life, and I've been divorced twice, and I get asked the question a lot. People will say to me, I bet you're probably not going to want to get married again, and I say, not true. Not true. Getting married wasn't the problem. The problem was how I acted in my marriage and how much time and attention I gave to building a successful marriage. So that's self-reflecting. It takes two to tango. If I'm divorced twice, well, guess what? I'm part of the common denominator, aren't I? So that's self-reflection. Now, I'm not saying people don't contribute legitimately. I mean, your your boss might be a problem. Your mother-in-law might be a problem. A politician may be your problem. But if you look at that as the exclusive contributors to your unhappiness and don't take the time to look in the mirror then you're missing an obvious opportunity to grow and be better.
2: Mark, you make a very good point. I, um, I, I've started to learn that making a choice in life is sort of like the lesson we try to t- teach young children when they come upon a street and a curb. you got to stop, look both ways, then cross. And yeah, I think I, like that you know, now. I, yeah, I think that go works ahead. in a marriage. I know that. And but before but before I let let you go, do you know why divorce is so expensive?
1: <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. No, because <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> oh boy! Oh my gosh! That's so true. Um, but but you know, building on what Ted said, you know, I, I had someone tell me a few weeks ago, and we talked from time to time on the show about shooting on yourself, and in what when you tell yourself right? Here's the thing, right? When you typically use self-exploration and you really want to look in the mirror, the answer is not beating up on yourself. The answer isn't, woe is me, focus on all the bad things that have happened to you and how you could have prevented them and all the mistakes you made and all the bad decisions you made. That's not what self-reflection is. Self-reflection is taking a step back, removing distractions, In really looking at the entire puzzle. And that's why I said, it's not just other people, it's you. What part can you play in your happiness and in your success? And it's interesting because I've been going out on walks by myself. And it's so hard, right? Because to go on a walk by yourself, it feels really boring to me. But what I've done is I started this pattern where three, four times a week, I'm going on a two and a half mile walk. I bring my headphones. I look like a total nerd because I'm not using, you know, whatever I'm supposed to be using. But the fact of the matter is, I'm going on these walks. And so finally, after doing it three, four times, I said, you know, I'm going to do, do an experiment. I'm going to go out on a walk and have no headphones. And I just literally need to take in the sights and sounds and have some solitude to just think. And I have to tell you, I wasn't perfect. I mean, I would say about a third. Like 30 to 40 percent of the walk, I would pull out my phone and check emails and text and stuff. But most of the walk, I was able to be solemn and think. And that self-reflection time, if I had a nickel, for even when I was able to block out distractions and stay quiet for 10 minutes, I would say the percent of time I get clarity on something, get a new idea, embrace a different perspective of something is almost automatic when that happens. So... Look, self-reflecting is, you, you may not like what you see. That, that's, what, that's why people don't like to look in the mirror. You know, you, you may not like what you see, but at the end of the day, this is, this is critical for your personal and professional growth and happiness. And from an entrepreneurial standpoint, here's, here's what I see from an entrepreneurial standpoint. There's, there's a template, okay, to be a successful entrepreneur. And that template involves scaling and growing your business. It involves um, making good decisions. It involves being an effective leader. And there's all kinds of components. And, you know, all business leaders are told you've got to set goals. And those goals should be smart goals. And I'm a big fan of setting those goals. The problem is when we set those goals, we don't often reflect on why we have them in the first place. So if I set a goal and I want my business to grow 50% this year, Why? How did I come up with that? Was that just because that's where it's trending? Is that because, hell, if it grew 25% last year, it must be able to grow 50% this year. But I think a lot of times when entrepreneurs set goals, they're following a template set by other people, and they feel like they have to be at a certain level by a certain time, and then they lose all sense of work-life balance. They lose all sense of time management, and they get emotionally and mentally drained, Because the goals they set and the things that they're trying to accomplish are for other people, not themselves, because they have not self-reflected on why they really want to achieve these goals in the first place and how it's going to matter. And I have to tell you, and I know we have to go to our first break shortly, I have to tell you one final thought before we head to our first break is this. You know, it's been very weird for me personally during the pandemic because, you know, you're home all day. Um, my son Cole's home with me, and it'll be the middle of the day, and normally when I have a window of time in the middle of the day between a coaching appointment or a webinar or virtual training, I'm like, oh my God, i got to return all these emails, and oh my God, i got to get 11 things done. And what I'm finding is I'm not doing that. I'm actually, I still work really hard, but I'm saying, hey Cole, let's go on the driveway and play basketball, or "You know, let's play a game, or let's have a chat, or let's watch something on TV or something. And I'm finding that I'm not missing this 12 to 14 hour a day work life I've had prior to COVID. I'm not sitting here going, man, I wish I could return more emails. I wish I could make more sales calls. I'm not saying that. And so this is what I mean about self-reflection. This COVID has really forced us to step back and realize what are we really missing? And when we come back after our first break, we're going to get into how leaders can self-reflect and the steps they should be taking And how they can be more effective as a leader if they take these steps. So this is I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman, 508-871-7000. If you'd like to call in and contribute, and we'll be right back.
0: I communicate continues on full service radio eight thirty WCRN. Once again, here's your host Mark Altman.
1: Everybody, welcome back to I Communicate, and uh, we're going to continue our discussion around self-reflection and looking in the mirror. And you know, I have to tell you, what's really funny is this. Often, I get asked the question. People say. You know, when you do executive coaching or when you work with leaders, you know, what are your biggest challenges? And they'll they'll say, you know, it must be leaders who think they know everything or leaders who bully or leaders who don't have good time management skills, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I say, you know, actually, it's it's really none of those. It's the leaders who don't know how to self-reflect and really look in the mirror and recognize and have that self-awareness and understand um, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and what core competencies, the skills they need to be involved in. And what's funny is, you know, you notice how the example I gave was leaders who think they know everything. Well, people who don't self-reflect don't necessarily think they know everything. That's not necessarily the root cause of that. But there's this process for leaders to follow. You know, it's a conscious consideration of their beliefs, their actions, and their purpose. And that, that reflection time allows your brain to pause around chaos and sort through observations and experiences and consider possible solutions and interpretations for things. And then those reflections are your learning tools. And what's interesting to me is I don't think a lot of people look at it that way. If you want to learn something, you can go online and take an e-learning class. You can go to a webinar. You could go to an in-person training when that resumes. Google. There's a thousand ways you can learn things. But where does self-reflection fit? Where does taking the time to look through observations, experience, interpreting things differently, and taking yourself out of the chaos, where do those learning tools come in? And I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is, that for leaders, this is what gets in the way. The first thing is leaders don't understand the process of self-reflection, many of them. And here's what will happen. They'll say to me, so let me just get this straight, Mark. You want me to sit there for 30 to 60 minutes and just basically reflect on things, like reflect on what I could be doing better? I mean, is that what you want me to do? And I'm like, well, part of it, yeah, I mean, that's that's part of it. But you'd have to know what you're reflecting on, for instance, There are questions you could be asking yourself during that 30 to 60 minutes as opposed to just sitting there and staring at a screen. You could ask, are you aware of how your team perceives you? Are you focused on the right priorities? Do I have the right schedule? Am I managing my time properly? And on a personal level, you could say, am I pursuing the things I want to pursue personally? Why or why not? So, yeah, I know it might seem benign and like, well, I don't understand. I'm just going to sit there like, what do I get for this? You know, where's my ROI? What's the bottom line for self-reflection, right? So then, then so let's say we get through, I don't understand the process. Now, okay, so fine. I got to ask myself those questions. Well, then we're, then we're where I was just going. Well, I don't like the process because I don't know what I get for it. You know, there's no clear return or deliverable. I don't have time. You know, if I'm going to involve, you know, you know how busy I am? You know, I have so many things I get to get done, and I'm supposedly going to take myself out of this chaos and put myself aside, and there's going to be an actual tangible benefit of that? Yes. And I can tell you that if you talk to people who successfully self-reflect, they will tell you that virtually every time they self-reflect, they get benefits from it, and in many cases, a lot of benefit from it. Now, what's interesting to me, the spin on this, right— is I was looking at a study prior to the show today around soccer. And this was beautiful because most leaders have a bias towards action, right? They want to they want to be able to do something with the information they uncover, which that's good. But this study, what they did is they studied professional soccer goalies defending penalty kicks. And they found that goalies who stay in the center of the goal instead of lunging left or right, have a 33% chance of stopping the goal. So think of where I'm going here now. Stay centered. Don't go too far left. Don't go too far right. Now, I detest politics, and we know this is one of the biggest problems in politics. You've either got people far to the left or far to the right, and we have an enormous problem staying centered and meeting in the middle. So... 33% 33% chance of stopping the goal. Just stay in the middle. How how often do you think goalies stay in the middle when they're facing a shot? Ted, take a guess. What do you think the percentage? 6%. 6%. So here's statistics data to back it up. Just stay centered. Nope. I'm going to, I'm going to just guess and go left or go right. And that's the problem. That's that analogy is true for many leaders because reflection is, can feel like staying in the center of a goal and and missing the action. So if you can't make a decision and go one way or the other, and you have to stay in the middle and think and process and weigh your options and embrace different perspectives, that doesn't feel like you're accomplishing anything. So that's the problem, right? It just doesn't feel rewarding. So no ROI. Don't like the process. Don't understand the process. And, and lastly. This is the biggest of all for anybody. I don't care if you're a leader, you're in sales, you're a, a mother, a father, you're in any profession. It's it's so painful. Like who wants to who wants to see what they don't like? Because I alluded to the tears for the for the job seekers groups earlier on the show. It's not just tears. It's anger and self loathing. It's I should have done this. I should have done that. Why did I do this? Why did I do that? Why do I keep repeating the same mistakes? And that's what, when people look in the mirror, there's this tendency to beat yourself up. And so if, you're, if your experience with, self, with self-reflection is you don't like what you see, and it's going to remind you of all your problems and errors and mistakes, and you're going to just take yourself through this really nasty, cruel inner voice process, it's, it, who would want to do that? Look, nobody judges us harder than we judge ourselves. And some people become so defensive in the process that they can't even learn anything because they don't want to face the difficulty. So look, when we come back for our third segment, we're going to talk about how leaders can overcome this and how leaders can execute. Because anything in life that is worth growth will create discomfort and irritation and sadness and anger. But that's, that's how you learn and grow. So this is Mark Altman for iCommunicate. We'll be back right after the break. <laughs>
0: Communicate continues on full-service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. I'm Mark Altman, and today we're talking about self-reflection, looking in the mirror, and what the heck are you waiting for? It is no better time than now. And I know we have a caller on the line. Scott, welcome to the show.
3: Yes, uh, good afternoon, Mr. Altman. uh. You know, I'd like to say that it's uh, it's ridiculous. It's time for America to finally go back to work. Uh, America's economy is never going to recover from the Second Great Depression, and that's exactly what it is. It's a Second Great Depression. When I look in the mirror, I see America uh, is crippled. Uh, it's over 30 million Americans, 37 million, I believe, Americans unemployed. This is uh, this has surpassed the Great Depression of the 1930s because it took a few years to achieve that those horrors, and this has only uh, taken a few weeks. At most, and uh, America's economy is a shambles. And I'd like to further say that this coronavirus is a sinister and vast conspiracy of the New World Order uh, to deliberately destroy the U.S. economy uh, and install a one world government, one world religion, one world currency. And uh, you know what upsets me terribly? That uh, Trump has given trillions and trillions of dollars to Wall Street and big business and airlines and Main Street gets crumbs. They are elected officials, Democrats, Republicans. I think are garbage. About so Scott it.
1: Scott, basically, you know, thanks for the call. I appreciate the call. I, look, everybody. here's the thing uh, I, I don't I don't engage in political discussions, as Ted said, I mean, sure, Scott made some points that were valid. Look, at the end of the day the the attitude I've taken about self-reflection and looking in the mirror, and it actually fits in an indirect way perfectly. The attitude I've taken is whatever this is exactly what we can blame and we can use other people as blame for what we can't do what we don't do but my attitude over the last few weeks is i'm plowing forward because i don't know what's going to happen i don't know the decisions our politicians are going to make and right now i can't worry about that because i can't control it and to be emotionally and mentally emotionally and mentally sound and healthy it is critical that we recognize the things we can and can't control and move forward because otherwise it, it, will kill you. It, it just will kill you. It's, it's so heavy. It's so heavy. And people we're so torn apart as a country right now and people are so fervently, their beliefs are so fervently in one side or the other. And it's, it's just not conducive. So I do appreciate the call Scott, but like Ted said, you know the, the matter at here, the matter at hand here is around self awareness. And look, it fits into where I was going to go in this segment. That ultimately, a lot of people really struggle to make decisions until either it's too late, or something really severe or bad has happened. And so the self reflection is much better served as a proactive solution as opposed to a reactive solution. And I'm just I'm just saying to our listeners, it is a golden opportunity to really diagnose certain things. Now, for leaders, here are the things that you should be asking yourself when you're self-reflecting. Now, I just want to, before I even get into these specific questions, I just want to stress that there's some foundational factors that need to be in place. First of all, if you're someone who wants to write things down in a journal if you're someone who wants to record yourself on some kind of app or tape recorder or something along those lines, great. There's no wrong way to do self-reflection in that regard. Use whatever medium is most comfortable for you that really allow you to collect and formulate and articulate your thoughts. Secondly, you've got to schedule time, right? Because this is the kind of thing, if anything is going to fall by the wayside, it's going to be self-reflection, right? you are got to literally put on the calendar... 2 to 2.30, self-reflection. I mean, it doesn't even feel right. Like, like, Ted, when I say that out loud, could you imagine putting on your calendar 2 to 2.30, self-reflection? It's,
2: it, it, it seems odd, but you have to make an appointment with yourself to accomplish it.
1: Well, and, and what's interesting is that uh, a colleague of mine said something this morning that I, I thought made so much sense. The whole shitting on yourself, if you should do it, you'll do it. Right? Because that's what procrastination is all about. If you know you need to do it, you will eventually do it. and So that's what should do it. So if you value self-reflection as a proactive solution to get clarity, to make better decisions, to embrace different perspectives, yeah, then put it on your calendar. In the same way you would schedule going to the gym for mental health, in the same way you would schedule anything that you have for wellness. But again, I I don't want to take it too far that direction because – Self-reflection seems, and Ted, i got to tell you, this is a huge pet peeve of mine. When people think about self-reflection, they'll start to associate it with meditation. Mm. God forbid, right? Because as if meditation's so bad. But it feels, it feels very out there. It feels like something like soft and deep and heavy and whatever. It's, it's just pausing and giving yourself time to think and reflect and ask questions. So you've got to schedule time, you have to select a process, and the other thing before we get into the questions is you've got to start small. I mean, I don't know how many posts I see on Facebook and on LinkedIn and on Instagram and every darn social media channel when they talk about habit and behavior change, incremental growth, start small, if I see one more of those posts, I'm going to vomit, but then as soon as I get irritated because the, there's so many a day like that, I say, yeah, but that's the thing. People need the reminders. It's so obvious. But if, if, you, if you go on your calendar, you listen to this radio show today, and you say, you know what, Mark's right. I've got to schedule the self-reflection. I'm going to put two to three every Thursday self-reflection. You've already lost. Because the likelihood you're going to go from zero to weekly, and carve out four hours a month when you carved out zero hours a month, not going to happen. That's a huge leap. Schedule maybe two sessions. Schedule maybe two 30-minute sessions. And not only get comfortable with it, talk to someone, get there, share what you've uncovered, share, share the realizations you've made from those sessions as opposed to just drilling ahead and doing something weekly without getting specific feedback. Now, look, here are the questions that need to be asked. You're a leader. These are the questions that you need to be asking yourself. Number one, what are you avoiding? What are you avoiding? There are things on our list, on our to-do list, and I don't care if they have KPIs or metrics or whatever they have. There are things that we avoid, and guess what, everybody? Why do we avoid them in many cases? Because they feel like they're going to take a long time. And so something that takes a long time that we perceive will take a long time, just like if we get an email that's really long, it goes to the bottom of the list that we read, then we're going to avoid it because it seems like it's going to take a lot of our time, hence the point I just made about self-reflection and incremental growth. So what are you avoiding? What are the things that you, quote-unquote, should be doing that you're not doing? Uncover what those things are, and then the question is, Why do you think you're avoiding them? So once you get the list of things you're avoiding them, be honest with yourself. Ask why you're avoiding them. I was telling my son Cole a story this afternoon about when I was in high school. I remember telling myself, my favorite sport was basketball. I loved basketball. But I remember telling myself, you know what? I want to be good. I don't care if I'm great at any sport. I just want to be good. And so I made this decision that my four, my four favorite sports, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, I wanted to be competitive. I wanted to be able to hold my own and play those sports. But I was telling the story this afternoon that I wasn't really being honest with myself. Because in self-reflection, the truth is, I didn't want to put in the time to be a varsity basketball player. Now, whether I was good enough, that, that's up for debate. But I never really gave my oppor- myself the opportunity to find out because I didn't put in the time. So that's an example of self-reflection. When you ask yourself, what are you avoiding? What are you avoiding? Why do you think you're avoiding it? And are you being honest with yourself with that answer? Another question you should be asking is, how are you helping people achieve their goals? And guess what? People, in this case, is managing up, managing sideways, and managing down. And one of the things about what's challenging and getting more challenging about the workplace with the remote culture is you've got a responsibility, if you're a manager, you've got to help the leadership team, the executive team achieve their goals, you've got to help your peers achieve their goals, and you've got to help the people that report to you on your team achieve their goals. And guess what? I've just just articulated three sets of goals you're responsible for, and none of them included your own. It's a lot of goals. So how are you helping your colleagues achieve their goals And how are you helping yourself achieve their goals? Now, this is where it gets a little tricky because the next question I always teach people to ask is, how are you not helping or, this is the big one, perhaps even hindering their progress? Because this whole thing about management and leadership is there are things that you may not be getting to, whether you're not. Yep. Whether you're not allowing time for coaching, whether you're not allowing time to develop your team, you could be hindering their progress. Not because you're malicious, not because you don't care deeply about your team, simply because you have not allocated the time. And when you go through this self-reflection, and we'll continue this in our final segment, but when you go through this self-reflection, the idea is it makes you stop and evaluate, what am I doing and what am I not doing? and who's it hurting, and why am I doing it? So when we come back for our final segment, we'll continue this discussion about self-reflection for leaders. We'll chat a little bit about self-reflection for salespeople. And uh, this is I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back.
0: Communicate continues on full service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Welcome back to I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman. Glad to be back here on a Thursday afternoon. Ted, I got to tell you, I'm so hungry after that DD's commercial. All right. Now listen, one last thing I just need to say. If there was one thing that I feel like when it comes to self-reflection and awareness that I feel like I have to tell people over and over and over, and Ted, i got to tell you, I cannot believe people are still throwing Mercury in the trash. I mean, it just, it just makes no sense to me how people would do that. Well,
2: you know, my daughter came home with a dog named Mercury, so I've got to be careful on this.
1: <laughs> All right. Now, listen, so he- here, you know, I want to bring up a different point about leadership and self-reflection, and that is this. I spent a lot of time in the early stages of this year because I built a lot of homegrown assessments around leadership caller and sales. yep, and employee engagement, things like that. And I just have to say, there are a minimum 30 core competencies in leadership I came up with. And so when you think about areas of improvement and being self-aware, it, the list of areas you could improve as a leader is endless. And I, I know we have a caller, so I'll just make one final point before we welcome our next caller to the show. Two callers. Okay, well, then I going to just... We don't have a lot of time. Matt? Hey Mark, good question for you. Then I'll get off and let you answer. Um, okay, I totally
4: I totally agree with Scott about the whole world conspiracy thing. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, I've got a question for you. How do you yep. how do you reconcile leaders who it seems to have a natural tendency to want to do something um, with, as you suggested, just sometimes doing nothing? Uh, you mentioned the the study about the soccer goalies and some, yep. standing standing in place is the right thing to do. How do you how do you reconcile those two things that seem to be, at, you know,
3: polar opposites?
1: Well, Matt, it's a great question. Thanks again for the call. And, and I'm going to give you a great, a great anecdote to answer that question, Matt. You know, my first company, Mark Altman Associates, I remember my leadership team used to come in my office and they would say, they, to give me recommendations on problems or decisions we we're making, and they would say, all right, Mark, I think this is what we should do. And I'd go, then just leave. Because if you think You don't know. And the point I'm making there is I want people to be willing to stick their neck out. You know, my culture at my companies has always been stick your neck out. If you make a mistake and if you make the wrong decision, as long as the process and the critical thinking steps that you use to make that decision are logical and rational, I'm okay if a mistake is made. But if you're afraid to make a mistake and you're saying, I think we should do this, then you're, you're not willing to stick your neck out. And when Matt talks about reconciling leaders who want to do something, but their tendency is to do nothing, to me, part of that problem, Matt, is they're trying to please too many people too often, or they lack the confidence to make the big decision. And so many leaders are making decisions based on their constituents' And, and certainly in a political arena, that's the case. But even in a workplace, you know, you're, you're, how people are going to respond to the decisions you make? Are they going to buy into your vision and leadership style and so on? So my that's my answer, Matt. I think it's it's a confidence issue. I think it's being afraid to make the wrong decision. And I think part of a good culture that's an accountable culture in the workplace creates that comfort for people to make decisions Sound decisions that have been thought through and vetted out properly
2: also scott is on call
1: okay scott welcome to the show
4: hey thank you uh this is joseph
1: actually oh hi Joe.
4: yeah <laughs> hey so uh, i my first thought by the way that directly a comment to what you just said was that it is so important to provide an opportunity for people to stick their heads out because way too many of them have, have had their heads chopped off when they tried to in the past. Right. And that's a, a leadership awareness that it sounds like you practiced that it would be great to see others follow suit on um, to, to, to your point about, uh, about self-awareness. It's, it's really funny. Um, there was a, a, um, uh, George Shultz, who was Secretary of State under Ronald Reagan, used to do this once a week. He would clear his desk of everything but a piece of paper and a pen, and he would tell his secretary, if it wasn't the president or his wife, don't disturb him, and he would spend an <laughs> hour working, just thinking, just thinking. And the pen and paper was to write something down if something came to him. But he just considered what he had on his plate, basically. And, and, and I think even if people can spend like 30 minutes a week doing this, it, it makes a huge difference. You know, and you, you mentioned meditation earlier. You know, sometimes people talk about that and stuff. And, and my experience is that sometimes people will try meditation and they'll turn around and they'll go, oh, I can't do this. I can't do it. Every time I sit down to meditate, my mind is going in a thousand different directions in a hundred miles a minute but it turns out that's actually what your mind is always doing and now you've noticed it for the first time so I, I i couldn't be happier hearing your words today about self-awareness i think it's this this moment of self-reflection this taking the time to look at what am i afraid of what am i what am i worried about and you know a very a guy much wiser than me once said when you look at other people you have opportunities and when you look at yourself you have problems
1: well, Joe, that's uh, that was so valuable in so many different ways. Uh, I think you covered a lot of really critical ground there, and I know, I know you're a very accomplished trainer on your own who's been doing things for a long time. And so, it, funny thing is, Joe, I think the the biggest thing I took away from there was this sticking your head out, and you know what Joe talks about, which is giving people the opportunity. You know, the problem is, is we we live in a world where when people take chances, and when people are or at bat and have that opportunity to do what joe's speaking about and it's not received well or it doesn't go many people don't ever try again and people become gun and afraid because there's baggage and there's emotions and there's experiences that handicap people so i think it's such a phenomenal point and you know one of the challenges i think in leadership in people who are advocating and for themselves or sharing ideas or innovations or thoughts or feelings is the expectation that goes with it. And I think there's a lot of people, when they have the courage and confidence to share those ideas and make those decisions, there's almost, a, in, in some cases, hidden, in some cases articulated, an expectation that if they have the confidence and courage to do it, then it's only worth it if it was received. It was only worth it if someone actually took them up on their idea or their decision. So I think I think what we have to do is we've got to discern in organizations that if we get people to stick their head out and take the chance, let's set expectations that you may not take every idea they have, you may not agree with every decision they make, but even if they don't, the key to me is let them know how appreciative you are of the opportunity validate what they're saying, make sure they feel heard, but you can't guarantee that you're going to take their ideas and opinions. So it's a slippery slope, but I think if you take the time to validate and let people feel heard, then you can have the best of both worlds. And look, final thought for today is this. Everybody knows what an autopsy is, but the problem with the word autopsy is it's usually associated with death. It's a very negative word, right? But an autopsy in the workplace, can be so valuable as a form of reflection. What's a debrief? A debrief is also another form of reflection. So if you're the if you're the kind of company or organization or individual that believes in doing a post mortem if you lose a client, a post mortem if a deal doesn't fall through for a salesperson, a post mortem on a failed project. If you're the kind of person that believes in that stuff and believes in debriefs and autopsies and things then you sure as heck should believe in self-reflection and looking in the mirror. It's just another form of doing it. Mark, probably, that, you
2: know, that sounds like uh, organizational forensics.
1: Uh, <laughs> absolutely, Ted. I'm with you 100%. I love that. So, you know, final thought for the day is this. Don't don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid. What's the worst thing that can happen? Take the time. Like Joe said, build a 30-minute session in Start it. Do a couple of sessions for the first couple of weeks. Build it into your schedule. Talk to people after you do it. Let them know what you've uncovered. Talk it out with people you respect. If you need a coach, you need a trainer, give me a call. nine seven eight two zero six one five three five 206 1535 Info at mindsetgo.com. Happy to help. Happy to have an initial consultation to talk through what you're trying to accomplish and achieve. Thank you again for joining iCommunicate. We look forward to seeing you next hearing from you next Thursday. Have a wonderful afternoon.